So welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Match Fit Football Podcast. I'm Darren Potts, your host here as always. And reminder, just check out Match Fit Football on all forms of social media. But enough about that. On to today's guest, it is Sam Cosgrove. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Evening, mate. How are you doing? Doing really, really well. What about yourself? How's things? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Yeah, delighted to get you here. And one of the things I like to start I'd asking is because we have a lot of young people who listen to this who either want to go pro or they have signed, you know, a young contract and they're working through the different, you know, academy systems at various clubs. I always want to touch on the person's journey. So for you, where did it start? Um, when did you get this idea that football could be a serious career for you, not just something you do for fun? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that I probably started off my footballing journey the same as most um, players out there these days, just a young kid that enjoyed playing football on on the park with his mates at, at the weekend and enjoying enjoying the week. You know, football as a kid, along with a couple of other sports, just kind of encompassed my life, encompassed my family's life. It was just something that was was so passionate and that I enjoyed playing. Um, that you know, it, it was something that used to do all day. Whenever I used to get back from school, it was just football, sports, going out playing with my mates um, until you know. It was, as soon as you get older, it starts becoming a bit serious. And I probably realised that football was a good career once I turned full-time. Um, I was at Wigan at the time um, when I received about a two-year scholarship. And once you make that transition from, you know, just playing in an, in an academy during the week, going up to, to play football after school, um, to doing it full-time, getting up in the morning, and eating, breathing football alongside your education work. I'd say that was probably the point where I realised, like, right, this is serious. I need to knuckle down even more and try and make something out of this. And um, was there ever was there someone that had any impact on you? You know, to help push you along in that journey, or was that something that you just kind of learnt with the ages you were kind of progressing through the system? Yeah, definitely. I think my parents were a real driver in that. Um, both of them were very strong characters and still are um, and they always told me to pursue what I enjoy doing um, and at the time it was football you know they're both quite education orientated so the, the thought of me not going to university um, not going down the the safer education route like they had um, I wouldn't say it worried them but it was it's obviously a big a big leap of faith to allow your son to go and play football full-time because I'm sure people know the statistics off the, off by heart by now, but the amount of players that make it from like young pros and scholars to, you know, make, making it professional, it, it's not many. So it is a big risk. And um, But I have to say I'm extremely grateful to, for them too. They were the, the main drivers in giving me confidence and allowing me to do it and putting in the time and effort to, help me through it so they're probably the, the main two for me yeah and, for, and one and your response there you mentioned the word risk you know it, as if it you know it's a big risk to go down this journey was that something you felt as a young player or is that something you look at now looking back and go hmm that's interesting a bit of both you know I think that what, at the time you are just you know you're young you're 18 19 still a teenager and it's hard not to be naive at that age because everyone has this tunnel vision of 
watching the Premier League players and saying, I want this to be me. I want to live this life. I want to play in front of 30, 40, 50,000 people every week. Um, I think in the past it's been it's been quite dangerous. But I think now, especially at the, the professional clubs, are really there's a big emphasis on, and even outside of the clubs, there's a big emphasis on, okay, what if this goes wrong? I'd recommend to all up-and-coming footballers to have that plan B. And even once you start getting a bit of success in football, it can end so quickly. And I think that a plan B is always a good idea, whether it's coaching, whether it's learning outside of football, gaining gaining a degree, gaining qualifications, whatever it is. Because as you mentioned, there is always that risk that something can go wrong. It's not always in your control. It could be an injury. It could be a bad manager that kills your career and you never know. So it, it is a risk, but I think it's it's a good risk, you know? I think football is something that people are very passionate about and passion can get you a long way as long as you put in the work hours and you, you're committed to it. I think one of the things there that you mentioned, you know, you talked about there's things that are outside of your control. You know, if a manager just decides you're not playing, you know, or if an injury happens, you know, there are things you can do as a player. You can control the controllable. You can train hard. You can diet right. You can sleep right. You can make sure you're hydrated. You can work really, really hard at training. Um, and that can ultimately lead to great success. But ultimately, as you mentioned, there is that risk of an injury. Someone just doesn't fancy you as a player. And all of a sudden you're looking elsewhere. And I think that's, quite a hard bit of football and you know as a as I would say as an armchair supporter you know we sit in the couch and we watch people play football we don't really see the behind the scenes of it and talk to me about behind the scenes of it in terms of is it you know as much of a mental strain and as a mental pressure as a physical pressure to go out and play yeah I mean you know at the fairly mature age in football now of 25 I'm always learning and this season's been it's been a tough season for me and you're always learning about yourself. You're always learning about the game. And one thing that I've come to realise more recently is that the mental side of the game is, I'd say it's, it's far more important than the physical side of it at times because, you know, everyone can train. Football is so competitive at the moment, so competitive. You, you look at the amount of kids in academies, look at the amount of professionals that are playing, it's such a small number that actually managed to make it professional. And you've got to, I think that the physical side of it, the technical side of it, and not as much, but the tactical side of it, I think that those high standards are almost a given these days. You know, the amount of time that kids and players are spending in academies with a ball at the feet, the amount of running they're doing, you said the nutrition, the diet, the looking after themselves. That's almost a bare minimum these days. So I think me personally at the moment, I think those fine margins come from tweaking the mental side of the game and unlocking, it's not just cockiness and confidence, but there's so many different sides of the game, you know, how you handle rejection, how you handle defeat, how you handle success. Because in football, especially outside of the team. I, you mentioned the armchair supporters. Everything's so up and down. When you win, everyone's on top of the, on, on top of the moon. When you lose, it's down in the dumps, you know? And as a footballer, you've got to try and 
find a happy medium when you win don't get too high when you lose don't get too low and find that consistency of of being mentally stable and not, as I said not getting too high not getting too low is it hard to do that is it hard to like kind of switch off from let's say the noise sometimes of outside of, of football you know you're controlling your own you know your own self in terms of your trading level your diet and all that sort of stuff but there's stuff that's outside of your control is that tough to kind of filter out and and maintain that level you know of that mindset of that you know purposeful direction that you're just concentrating on you and concentrating on doing the best you can for your team yeah absolutely and it's it's an ongoing struggle but the best players out there can do that very effectively they can block out the outside noise and focus on themselves the teammates the management and the team which ultimately they're the people around you that are going to get you the success they're the opinions that do matter you know but I think as a footballer it's impossible to blank out all the noise because at the end of the day you go and play football on a Saturday in front of whether it's a couple of hundred people a couple of thousand people a couple of tens of thousand people and there'll always be people there that have an opinion and it's one of the more frustrating things about the game you know you look at a plumber or a bricklayer no one knows how their no one can measure their performance outside themselves really whereas you look at a footballer everything about a football game is in the public knowledge and because football is such a a big part of many people's lives people take an interest and passion in it and you know, sometimes when, when we've had a bad game or a bad result, everyone knows it. Everyone checks to say, oh, how's, how's Sam got on today? With the, with the purest of interests. But, it, oh, he's, lo- he's lost today. Why did he lose? Oh, why are we on the bench today? Why, did, why didn't you play? And there's always people questioning. Everyone's always got an opinion. So, as you said, it to try and block that out, it's tough at times, but the best players can do it and the best players can channel themselves in the right way. I think what I've noticed even doing this sort of podcast is the human, like the human factor of a footballer. You know, I mentioned earlier, you know, we as armchair fans, we see the match, we see the warm up, and that's it, you know. But behind Sam the footballer, there's Sam the person. And there's Sam the man, there's Sam who, who lives a very probably normal life outside of football. And it's trying to kind of navigate the two probably and in this sort of social media age and in this like everybody knows everything and the statistics driven age it's probably very difficult I find you know for a footballer just to be a normal person I suppose yeah definitely and you know I'm not exactly a Premier League star at the moment so I can go out on the street and not be recognised and I can go for a meal with my with my girlfriend with my parents and and have a good time but as I'll bring it back to the you know, the performance related things, if if you have a bad game, you are literally 20 seconds away on Instagram or Twitter from a message on a, of a fan. And, you know, sometimes, and, and you do read them, you know, you read the messages that you get, you don't necessarily reply to them or take them in, but they're always there. You know, if you get mentioned in a comment on Twitter, you look at the, you look at the mention and you've seen it, you know, you've seen the comment and that's in your head. And, you know, as you said, there's a human side to footballers. We're not robots. We can't just churn it out. No matter what anyone says, that comment or the little bit of doubt, it affects you. It affects 
players, some players more than others and some players less than others. But it affects you. And as what I touched on before, that the best players can, you know, they can cancel that out and take less of a notice to it. Well, talk to me about having, you know, those doubts and overcoming those doubts and where your confidence comes from as a footballer. Yeah, I mean, every footballer in the career, barring maybe Messi and, and Ronaldo probably, but even them, you know, they, they, they experience doubts, they experience bad games. And as I said, it can happen to to some people more than others and some it, some people it affects people more than others. There's, there's the, old, the old added, you know, he's a confidence player. Some people thrive off the confidence of a manager who can put their arm around them and give them a bit of comfort, whereas others do need a bit of a kick up the backside now and then. Um, for me, for me on a personal point, I think that my sort of confidence comes from the the obvious things as a forward, scoring goals, being effective, making chances, and winning games. But on a more personal touch, I think that as a player, you know when you've had a good game or a bad game and my confidence comes from repetition so if I can string in two, three, four good games on the bounce not necessarily scoring in all of them but good performances that's where my confidence comes from it comes from that repetition of knowing I can do this I can do this I can do this and that obviously helps you build up See whenever you're going through a phase where maybe you feel you're not playing well and you feel you're not scoring enough goals and the manager continues to pick you anyway. Does that boost your confidence? Does that give you the belief that I can score, I am good enough? I'm just trying to look at it from a point of view of, I've seen it a lot with young players who get put into a team and they play one or two games. They maybe don't perform or haven't scored, so they're dropped and then they're on the bench for three or four and then they play one, then they're on the bench. And I'm quite, kind of trying to look at it and say, from a perspective of maybe you're not playing well, maybe you're not scoring goals, but that belief from the manager that it's going to happen for you, does that play a big effect on your mindset as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'll I'll take you back to my Aberdeen days when I was under Derek McInnes and I've got I owe a lot to him. You know, he really took a chance on me and I didn't get off to the best to start, so I wasn't scoring, but he stuck with me and he kept playing me and kept playing me and eventually the rewards did come and I'll be forever grateful for him for doing that. Um, but, you know, you mentioned young players getting opportunities and repeated opportunities. I think that that's, it's a luxury that not all managers can afford. You know, I think that Pep Guardiola, when he's sitting nine, nine points clear at the top of the Premier League, can afford to bring in a youngster and give him a go and give him a go and keep giving him a go because he knows that he's not under loads of pressure and that the team around him can help. Whereas the team at the bottom of the table, can the manager really afford to risk a young player? As you said, if he doesn't perform for a game, two games, three games, he's more likely going to resort back to a more experienced professional who has most likely been there, done it and has that experience behind him. So yeah, it's it's vital. I think, for young players coming through to be given that opportunity. But as I said, it's almost a luxury that not all managers and clubs can afford at a time. And that's going back to one of those things that's out out of the players' control. Yeah, absolutely. It is, isn't it? You know, football's a game of opinions, you know, at the end of the day, whether it be fans, managers, players themselves, they all have different opinions. 
And you mentioned Derek McGuinness, and I know you were very well thought of up at Aberdeen and the fans really, really took to you up there. Could you talk to me about sort of the your memories off playing for Aberdeen and whenever the obviously the bid came in for Birmingham's Birmingham to come back down to England, what was the reason in accepting that bid and or accepting that challenge and coming back to England? And talk to me a little bit as well about the difference between Scottish football and English football or if there is much of a difference. Yeah, so um I mean I thoroughly enjoyed my time up in Aberdeen. Um, not most because I found my girlfriend up there. After saying that, I wouldn't find a girlfriend up there. But very happy with the moment. Um, but yeah, in terms of the football side of it, I think it was exactly what I needed as a young. I think I was twenty, twenty-one years old, going up to Scotland, having you know maybe a dozen professional first team appearances under my belt and I needed to go up and play there um, I went there as kind of a a work in progress a bit of a project um, but luckily as I said the gaffer there he he really took a liking to me and he saw that potentially saw hopefully that hunger that I displayed and he gave me chances and he allowed me the run in the team and through hard work, resilience, you know, a lot of faith from the manager and a lot of work from the backroom staff, I managed to repay that and score and I thoroughly enjoyed my time up there. It was, it's probably the best three years of football that I've had in my career personally. Um, but when the opportunity came for me to move down to Birmingham, you know, I'm originally from South Manchester so instead of the six hour drive to Aberdeen I was only an hour and a bit away from my family and my friends um, I'd always wanted to play my football in England and obviously the size of Birmingham it was it was a decision at the time where I thought I think this is the right thing to do uh, so in the end it was it was a no-brainer I'm happy that did it Um but it was it was probably the next the next step for me in my career. Yeah. I think one of the things with footballers as well is picking the right clubs. And sometimes you mentioned earlier about teams that can afford to give young players a chance. And obviously up at Aberdeen, there was it's a work in proj- um, progress. You know, Derek McGuinness was was willing and able to give you a chance. You went up there knowing that you're a work in progress and you wanted to fine tune yourself perhaps and things like that. When it comes to moving to a club and rejecting and accepting clubs I'm not going to name names of clubs or anything like that but is it important for a player to kind of analyse one will I play will I get time as a young player will I get the opportunity you know to learn and develop or you know what what factors into your decision as a footballer about what club to move to yeah definitely I mean I think as a player you've got pretty much all those things that you mentioned you know you've, you've actually I'd recommend any young player that's move and they've got us on the table to speak to people as many people as they can that's not just people within the club that's in contention that's people outside of it you know it's your agent it's people that you know who've been there previously it's people you know who know the manager who know the staff know the way that they play and just is ultimately you see an offer and you see they're offering X amount a week and that's that's what that's what your eyes light up to the money. You know, there's there's no hiding it. But once you delve a bit deeper inside that, might be a little bit more money, but you're not going to get an opportunity for 
six six months, twelve months because they've got another striker or another player in your position that's going to be leaving, but they're ahead of you. So it's it's definitely important to to look into that. And as I said, just try and get as many opinions as they can. Try and do as much research as you can. Try and watch games. Try and see how they play, and see if you can see yourself fitting into that team. And an interesting point for you this year, you know, you've you've went out on loan this year. What's this season been like for you? It's been it's been tough, very tough. Um I think that in terms of the my mental side of it, it's probably been one of the hardest challenges I've faced in football. You know, I'll I'll take myself back to when I got released from Wigan um at 19, 20 years old. I'd probably say that was the toughest point in my career. Um, I didn't have a club. I had no real direction in in where I was going to go in football. Um, but this past six months, this past year, have probably been second to that. Um, you know, I, I got told in summer that I wasn't going to get the game time that I probably needed at Birmingham. Um, and luckily enough, they told me that pretty early doors. So I knew that I'd be able to go and find a decent low move um, as it came about I ended up at Shrewsbury um, thought it was going to be a, a good opportunity for me and you know I won't delve into too many details but that didn't work out for one reason or another partly my fault partly reasons that are uncontrollable um, but I just think that I've kind of I, I had a bit of a mental reset a couple of weeks ago once I knew that I'd probably be leaving Shrewsbury and fight, and I was looking to find a, lo- a loan elsewhere, I, I spoke with a couple of people, and as I said, I had kind of a reset in my head. And I said, right, look, the past couple of months have gone. The only thing I can do now is affect the future. And that's a piece of advice, probably only learned fairly recently, but it's a, it's a good piece of advice because, as I said, there's no point dwelling on the past. You know, it's been. You can learn from the past, but don't dwell on it. Focus on the future. And I got the opportunity to come to Wimbledon, start a fresh slate. The manager, Mark Robinson, has been absolutely brilliant with me. The players have been brilliant. And I find myself in a much better mental space right now than I was a couple of months ago. So it's almost proof that starting afresh and finding a new environment can help. Um the main thing for me now is to kick on and start producing. It's interesting that we're talking about this because, you know, you mentioned your relationship with Derek McGuinness earlier. You know, you've just mentioned what Mark's like for you at AFC Wimbledon. Um, and obviously that mental space and figuring out that mental space and being, you know, in that space where you believe you can thrive. And it certainly seems to be that space and that confidence that comes from, you know, just probably from playing and being wanted and feeling loved and feeling part of it. And how it can make such a difference, you know, in terms of your of your performance as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I think that football managers are called managers for a reason. They're not co- They're not always called coaches because I think that a massive part of the game these days is player management. Because as I mentioned before, some players need a kick up the backside. Some players need an arm around the shoulder. Some players need to be told you're not doing this well enough, whereas other players need to be told you've done this well. And I think, as I said, it's a massive part of the game these days. 
man management and knowing your players and how to get the best out of them. Because, as I said before, the the mental side of it is so important. And if you can, as a manager or anyone in the staff or even the teammate, if you can extract that extra one two percent from a player, just from that the mental side of the game, it's it's absolutely massive, and that can be the decisive factor in a game or a season. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I think it even pushes you to work that little bit harder, you know, as everyone's probably already, you know, pushing their body to the limits to improve. But suddenly when you've got that belief and that confidence and that arm around the shoulder and you're you're wanting to work for your teammates, you're wanting to work for your manager, you're wanting to work for yourself, all at the same time there's that little extra one percent that comes, you know, and I want to touch slightly on the on the one percents and Obviously, there's the professional approach to training corporately that you do with your club. But is there anything that you do outside of your club that gives you that edge or you feel helps you? Yeah, I mean, personally, when I'm going well, I like to stick to a routine. And, you know, when I was up in Scotland, I was doing well for the most of the time I was there. So it was kind of keep doing the same, keep doing what you're doing and keep trying to push yourself in training and games. Whereas in the past the past year or so things haven't gone as smoothly so there's always a reason for that whether it's as I said things that you can control things that you can't control can be a mixture of both but for me personally I didn't feel as if I was doing enough work physically and technically so yeah I found outside help I was I was training with um, an external coach once, twice a week, working on my technical, working on my physical stuff. Um, and more recently, I've employed like a psychologist to work with me as well, which has been a real good help. It's as I said, it was it's helped me have that res- the reset that I mentioned earlier, um, and almost it helps you concentrate on the positives instead of the negatives. Because you know, as a footballer, there's there's a reason you've got where you are always aim to be higher or you might always find yourself lower but there's a reason you've got you've got yourself to where you are and it's about unlocking that that potential that you've you've got and making the most of it really so yeah that as I've touched on the mental side of it is is massive and it's something that I've only really unlocked recently um as I said it's something that's massively undervalued in football as you said, you've come across it, you know, and you've you've sort of unlocked the mental side of your game recently. Do you feel that's a game changer for you? You know, going into maybe the middle part of your career. I think it's a bit too soon to say at the moment, but fingers crossed, it seems to be helping so far. So, if it can carry on at this rate, then hundred percent, yeah, absolutely. Great to hear that as well. And I think another part that you know people have to get used to as a footballer is diet, nutrition, hydration, sleeping, just making sure you're doing all the basics right. And I want to touch on those basics just just slightly. And is there any nutritional supplements that you take that you feel helps you out, whether it be protein or BCAAs to aid your recovery? Yeah, I mean, the big thing for me is I'm, I'm big on my, my vegetables. Um, that's the main thing for me. I think that in terms of supplements, I'm a believer that supplements should be um, to supplement your meal, essentially, not to replace. Um, So I get most of my nutrition from three big meals a day. You know, good breakfast, good lunch, good dinner, mixed mixed bag, all the good things. Um, 
the one thing that I've only just recently started taking again is creatine. Uh, creatine monohydrate, that's probably the only thing that I've really found a noticeable difference in my performance with, whether that's the old Debo effect working, you know. But um, I was introduced to it when I was up in Aberdeen um, by the, the head of sports science there, the fitness coach, and it seemed to help me then. And the past four weeks now, I've started taking creatine again and as I said could be, could be the placebo effect but seems to have helped and you know my my high speed distance increased my recovery's increased all the things that it says it does you know the, the repeated sprints the repeated performance seem to have improved so I think that's something that I'll probably keep taking in the long run Good. It's great to hear that as well. And I think for, you know, our listeners as well out there, you know, everyone knows themselves best and everyone knows what works for them and what, what can help them. And we're hearing from, you know, a professional footballer, Sam has told us here, you know, little things that have made the difference for him. Um, so I encourage everyone else out there, our listeners, to, to figure out what works for you and to try and take some advice from nutritionists, from sports scientists, and obviously from the pros themselves. Um, what about recovery? Um, is there anything you do specifically to help aid in your recovery? You know, such as is there like a, a stretching routine, foam rollers, any tricks or cheat codes, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, the sports science in football these days is absolutely ridiculous. You know, I think. There's so much more to come, but the the level and the detail and the money that goes into it is is crazy. So, I mean, I'll, I'll take you through a typical couple of days of recovery. You know, obviously, you finish the game. First thing you need to do is get some sort of nutrition inside you, whether that's your, your protein shake, good carbs, good protein. Um, and then after that, a good night's sleep. You know, I think that sleep is... It's the it's when your body recovers essentially. So if you can, sometimes it's hard. You know, we had a game last night, and as hard as I try, I, I didn't get to sleep until three o'clock in the morning just because you've got that buzz. But I woke up at nine o'clock, six hours sleep, not enough for me. I need between eight, eight and nine hours sleep a day for me to feel like I've had enough. So I've had a nap today, and hopefully, good night's sleep tonight, and that'll be me sleep sorted um, in terms of other recovery stuff you know I think getting one thing that works for me massively is getting myself going again so mm-hmm. after the game Saturday it was my first game back in a long time and for the, <laughs> for the two days after it I felt it really badly legs were sore but on the second day I got out there and we had a session and we got going warm up football inside but I felt massively better for it because it's getting your body working again getting the legs going flushing all the crap out of your legs and your body gets used to it again so I'd say that for the first day or two recover look after yourself put the right things inside you and then try and get yourself going again yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal insight, you know, to, I, I really enjoy hearing about that, you know, right after a match day and what goes on, you know, in a player's head, you know, a lot of people, I think, think people just go home and life continues as normal. But like you said, you're up to three o'clock in the morning, the adrenaline's going, you're trying to get to sleep, you can't sleep, and then you have to take the nap the next day to try and filter it all back to normal to go again. And that behind the scenes look into a footballer's life, I always find is just, just amazing, really, to kind of see how it all kind of clicks and works together. 
Um, another question I'd love to ask people is we've talked about the mindset. We've talked about, you know, um, your nutrition, your diet and sleeping and things like that. But what are the keys that maybe we haven't touched on um, to elite performance or to optimal performance? I think that the two things for me, are consistency and persistence, you know, that I know it's probably more the mental side of it, um, but that. I suppose you can you can relate that to the physical side of it as well. You know, you can aim to be as consistent as you want all day, whether that's in the running session, in a technical session, in a passing drill, in games at the end, at the end of a session, aim to be as consistent as you can. And the persistence side of it is always striving to be better. You know, I touched on work that I've been doing with psychologists and it's for me, it was more a case of not dwelling on things that have gone wrong, but trying to focus on the positives and thinking what's gone well and then trying to focus on those to get yourself in a good mindset. But that definitely doesn't change and move away from the fact that you need to be striving every day to be better. And I suppose that's where the persistence comes in. You know, you've had a good session, brilliant. You go again the next day. So that's probably the main, the main two things. It's probably the hardest thing to do. And anytime I talk to a footballer, when I talk about football, you know, in general, I always find the the consistency aspect of footballers mind blowing. Like whenever, you know, and I'll, I'll touch on the Premier League, you know, when you see Mo Salah scoring every week or when you see certain players, you know, just operating at that top level consistently. Now that it could be different depending on the player and what's going on in their life and all. And I, I totally take that into consideration. But the consistency aspect of football, I find, is the just the craziest, most mind-blowing thing of how a body and a person can operate at such a high level, as, like consistently. It's just, it's crazy to me. And that that's why the players, the best players are where they are. You know, I think that every player can be good on, on the good day. But how bad are you on your bad day, you know? <laughs> As you said, you look at Mo Salah. He has a bad day, but he still scores. Mm-hmm. You know, Kevin De Bruyne he has a bad day, but he still gets an assist. You know, and that's that's really what separates the top top players from the good players, and the good players from the average players. How consistently you can you can perform on a on a regular basis. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. We have a couple more questions just to just to begin to wrap this up for you. Um, would you set yourself goals for the season every year, or what way would you work at the start of a start of a football season? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say goals. As in, I wouldn't write anything down and say I need X amount of numbers. Target. I think every every player has a rough target in the head of what they want to achieve. That it may not be a specific numerical value but it could be right I want to play two thirds of the games this season and I want to score in a quarter of those I want to score in roughly one in four games whatever it would be so I wouldn't say that I have specific goals but definitely you know once you start seeing the marks of one hit 10 season 15 goals a season 20 goals a season but goals can change throughout a season you know as I said I probably went into this season thinking right going to score 15, 20 goals, whereas I'm nowhere near that at the moment because I've not played as many games I wanted to, not scored as many goals I wanted to. So for me, the goal is reduced, but there's still a goal there and there's still something that I'm, I'm striving towards. 
It's good, good to hear that. And it's always good to hear, you know, you're striving towards something and you know, you're working on the mindset, you're working on the various things that can help you with that extra 1% or so, you know, in, in your footballing career. Um, a couple of other questions now, just sort of quick fire questions. Um, what about your favourite pre-match meal? Uh, standard chicken pasta. I make a lovely pasta bake that I'll make the night before and then I'll stick it in the fridge and have it again as my pre-match. It's, it's spot on. Nice. <laughs> Good plug there for your post footballing career. If you decide not to go into coaching, we could see a restaurant open up somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> what about a post match meal? What would you have post game? Breaded chicken and pizza. Probably not the healthiest thing in the world, but you know, I mean, it's chicken, decent. It's good, good protein, and then pizzas aren't actually as bad as most people think. Pizzas think oh, food, but if you get yourself a decent pizza, decent carbs decent toppings decent protein on there so a good way of getting the calories back into you especially after you expended nine minutes of, of hard work interesting interesting stuff i haven't had anyone recommend pizza so far on the podcast and um, what about your favorite way to unwind and switch off to me it's just just a standard just having a bit of a, a chill day you know watching a bit of tv um if I've got a good day off or a couple of days off, love a game of golf. So I'll get myself on the golf course. It's not been not been able to do that too much recently through the winter, but during the summer months when it's when it's warm, definitely a good game of golf. What about growing up as a kid playing football? Were you always a goal scorer, always an attacking player, or did you start off, you know, like some other players, you end up starting off in some random position, then you find yourself as you get a bit older? Yeah, no, always a goal scorer always been a forward um, you know my, I'm a Manchester City fan at the moment well when I say at the moment I've been all my life um, my mum's side is United my dad's side City um, but as a young kid I used to love Michael Owen um, I'm asking for that now because I'm detest Liverpool but yeah always a goal scorer always used to love Michael Owen <laughs> brilliant brilliant so the, one of the next questions when I ask was who inspired you I suppose it would be Michael Owen then I'd say from definitely as a younger, as a really young child, he was probably the reason that I started playing football and that I wanted to become a footballer. Um, more recently, I think a big idol for me is it's got to be Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, the guy, where he's come from, how hard he's worked, he touched on the me- the mental side of his game. He's just he's untouchable. You know, he's he's nearly he's almost bigger than the sport these days, but. Yeah, he's definitely someone that I look up to. Interesting stuff. Cristiano Ronaldo still going strong at his age as well. You know, incredible. It's like age is just a number, isn't it? Yeah, ridiculous for him to be the age he is. And, you know, the criticism that he still gets at this age. But And after all, it is done. But for that guy, you look at him, he's an absolute specimen. And that that's not just genetics, you know. That's a guy that's relentless. He He lives and breathes football and that's tough. That's tough because at the end of the day, footballers are humans and, you know, I like going out and having a drink with my mates just as much as anyone else. But it's it's finding those fine lines of when you can do it, when you can't do it, when to look after yourself. And that guy is just, he's just a machine. Is that one of the hardest things about being a professional footballer is operating within those fine lines and knowing when not to go out with your mates and have a pint and knowing when you can't eat when you're just craving a chicken burger for toxic, you know, is that one of the hardest aspects of being a professional footballer? Yeah, 
I mean, become a footballer that the sacrifice is massive. You know, like even as a young kid, you know, you're training three, four times a week. You're giving up your evening where you know your mates might be off down the cinema. They might be playing football with themselves, but you're right back from home, do my homework, off to play football, repeat. And even from a young age, you need to you need to learn that discipline and you do you miss out on a lot you know when my mates are wanting to go to a festival or they're wanting to go on holiday but ah can't can't I've got a game at the weekend or it's halfway through the season or they're wanting to go for a night out and it's can't do that you know so it's tough but rewards are massive and the rewards are worth it so at the end of the day it's it's not really that that tough of a decision you know yeah, absolutely agree with that when you're talking, especially when you're talking about the rewards. And I always find the rewards always come, you know, when a team's united and when a team is doing really, really well and they're all joint together in the same with the same ideology and the same goal and the same mindset. And just as we begin to finish this off, talk to me about the atmosphere of a good changing room and what having that good changing room is like for players, both players that are playing and players that are sub. Because obviously football, there's a competitiveness there that you want to play. You want to be the starting striker and you want to be scoring goals. But there's also a team part of it where you want whoever's playing. If you're not playing, you probably want them to do well because you want the team to do well, but you don't want them doing too well that you can't get back in. Tell me about you know the fine lines of that and the atmosphere in a changing room and how you kind of balance all that as a competitive person, but also with being in a team sport. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's often... There's so many, there's so many different aspects of a changing room, and there's so many different aspects that create a good team or a bad team. And you just touched on a handful of them there. You can you can go on for hours and about the parts of a changing room and the different parts of a group that really bring someone together. But you know, I think the main one for me is is demands. Um, firstly, you've got to look at yourself you got to put the demands on yourself. And if you're hitting those demands consistently, you're doing what's asked of you on a regular basis, you can tick that, that box next to your name. But it doesn't finish there because the guy that's sitting next to you in the change room might not be doing that. And ultimately, he's letting the team down. So why are you putting in all this effort, all this work, for the guy next to you to be tossing it off? And not doing it because ultimately, you know, you're only as strong as your, your weakest link, you know. So that's where the demand and you've got to make sure that the standards around are as high as they can be. And that's probably the the best the best change rooms that I've been in have been change rooms that are tough. You know, if someone does something wrong, you get called out for it. You know, sometimes it becomes heated, sometimes there's fights. There's countless stories of players kicking off with each other, fighting each other. But, you know, the next day, you're mates again because ultimately everyone just wants what's best for themselves and for each other. So definitely those demands that people place on each other are absolutely massive. Yeah, I think it's absolutely integral even to have a changing room like that where, you know, criticism can be aired but almost in a constructive way not 
to you know to pull somebody down in a in an effort to you know encourage the team to be better and encourage that player to be better. I think it's so vitally important. Um, one last question for you. Um, I'm going to focus this around your time up at Aberdeen with Derek McGuinness because we've mentioned him quite a few times on this podcast of how you know he's been instrumental for you and really helped you in terms of your career. Um, I always like to ask if there's a, if there's one piece of advice you could give a young player who's coming up through the system or wants to go pro, pro what would that advice be? I want to tighten that question a little bit. Similar question, but if you could give me a an example or a piece of advice that you learned from Derek McGuinness up at Aberdeen that you feel has really helped you and elevated you and you will take that with you for the rest of your career? I've probably got two. There's probably the best piece of advice I've in general and the best piece from McInnes. And, you know, the, the biggest thing that I learned there was, was probably along the lines of versatility. You know, I was played as a, a lone striker most of the time. Um, the best piece of advice that I got given was to, to think like a small striker. Um, it's it's quite a specific piece of advice to me. It's not it wouldn't be for everyone. It's obviously for a forward, but as a as a big target man, you know the the holding up the ball, the being aggressive, being a strong number nine is given. But can you be a bit cuter at times? Can you be a bit more clever um, and think like a a small guy in the box? Because obviously a five foot ten striker can't rely on his physical presence, his height to win headers or to out-muscle a defender. They need to do it elsewhere. Um, so that, that's probably the best piece of advice I was giving up there. Um, and then the best piece of advice in general that I've been given and something that really resonates with me is as a footballer, especially me personally, you need to be an actor. You know? And off the pitch, you can be as nice as you want. You know, you can be a family man, a friends man, you can be best mates with everyone you see. But as soon as you cross that white line, whether it be for training in the week or a match day at the weekend, you've got to be a completely different person. You know, for 90 minutes, you've got to be aggressive. You've got to be horrible. You've got to be determined and nothing can get in the way of you and, and winning that game. So that, that's probably the best piece of advice I've, I've been given. Phenomenal pieces of advice from you there, Sam, and great insight into, you know, even your your mental state as well, that you're going to be competitive, you're going to work hard, you're going to, you know, do everything you can to win that game of football and leave with three points. Um, for any of our listeners who want to connect with you on social media, where can they find you? So my Instagram is Sam Cosy, so Sam, C-O-double-Z-double-E. That's most of my socials. We'll encourage all of our listeners Get on the Instagram, find Sam, give him a follow and see what he's up to. And Sam, I just want to thank you for your time today, for chatting to us here at the Match at Football podcast. And um, Wish you well for the rest of the season and we'll be keeping an eye on you to see how you're doing. But thank you so much for giving us the time today and for giving us that insight into your life and your career as well. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me on. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll be back next week with another episode here on the Match Fit Football podcast.